now. It's Gabe time. Gabe Kuhn. Gabe Kuhn was one of the great little trivial nuggets in all football bios. His grandfather was the inventor of the Easy Bake Oven. Like a boss. The best lineman on the radio. Well, the only lineman on the radio. It's Gabe time. Game time. We're ready. The Gabe Kuhn Show. 92.9 FM ESPN. How about it? Off and rolling on a Thursday, February 15, 2024. Welcome in to the Gabe Coon Show. I am your host who's very happy about the drop of NCAA Football 25, but I am a former Memphis Tiger offensive lineman, Gabe Coon on X at G underscore Coon 71, alongside the executive producer of the Gabe Coon Show. That'd be Connor Dunning on X at C Dunning 929. Connor, what's the word? What's up, man? Uh, I'm just, man, I'm, 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 I'm pretty happy about seeing NCAA 25 finally put out their first trailer. That was nice. It was it was a great surprise. Although they didn't show even a smidge of what we're actually going to see on the game, they didn't put any like teasers out, anything like that. Just the just the aura of the of the game. You know, everybody says that they're going to be you know the Dabo Sweeney who you know talks about you know kids transferring, getting in the transfer portal from their particular school when they do their their dynasty or their online dynasty. They think that uh, they're going to talk about you know kids not having the same level of, of want to to stay at a school for four years, I'm going to be the guy that just builds up my NIL program. I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to complain. I'll be more in the Dan Lanning camp than the Dabo Sweeney. I'm going to be a menace in the transfer portal. Oh, I'm going to be ridiculous. Good Valentine's Day, though? Oh, it was a great Valentine's Day. How was yours? Dude, it was great. I got to give a shout-out to my guy, Sage Cotton. Yes, Sage shout-out. Shout-out to the Alchemy. We went there for dinner last night, and uh, he hooked us up. great drinks, by the way. Dude. Phenomenal drinks, drinks with some old dom in it. Yes, they use that old dom in those cocktails over at the Alchemy. Good people, good what, people what, over there. What, what kind of cocktails did you, you old fashioned Manhattan? I got something called a bold fashioned, which is like Ooh. a co- like they put like coffee liqueur in it with some old dom. Woo-hoo. Really, dude, it was so good. It's one of the smoothest bourbon drinks I think I've ever had. You know, the best old fashioned I ever had. I have a good show. It's the rooftop over at uh, at uh, what's the Hyatt Centric. And people are going to laugh at me because it's, you know, it's a little sweet and, you know, whatever. I don't care. I, I, Big good, man, good, sweet good, drinks. Good, good tasting drinks are good tasting drinks. You don't need to share. Drink shaming is one of the worst things you could possibly do. I agree. Do. If it tastes good, give it exactly. to me. I don't care. I had an old fashioned, but it was uh, infused with Biscoff. Biscoff. What is that? You know, the Biscoff cookies? Like, have you ever had cookie butter? Yeah. It's that flavor. Really? In an old-fashioned. Unbelievable drink. I might have to go down there tonight. Yeah, see? See? <laughs> exactly. No, but I shout out to them. I think they it was seasonal, boys. though. I think it was seasonal. I think it was only a winter winter cocktail. Maybe maybe I can uh, flash a smile and get it done. Yep. Now, um, we have three hours of talk on the way, courtesy of 92.9 FM, ESPN, and yours truly. We're going to open on Tigers at North Texas, a must-win game for this Tigers team. We'll talk about college basketball as a whole. And I, I the metrics thing, I... Listen, I try to understand metrics, and I know that there's a lot of, of the, you know, Ken Palm and Bart Torvik, they try to be predictive instead of reactive, as opposed to, you know, what the net does. Um, but when I look at those metrics, and I know it's like offensive, defensive efficiency, and, you know, how teams have played, what it would look like tonight if they played. But I brought it up yesterday. Memphis was at 93, North Texas at 54, and Bart Torvik. That just confuses me. It it just it blows me away that that is the case, but we'll talk about that. Also, the Grizzlies get a win, snap a nine game losing streak. How about it, Connor Dunning? How about it? 
post-game interview and post-game show was very long. <laughs> they stayed on the air for a while because I think tonight everybody's going to try to hightail it out of town um, to the All-Star game uh, for All-Star weekend. But uh, I'm glad that they got a win over over Dylan Brooks before uh, before the season was over. Yeah, when, you know, as we were at Valentine's Day dinner last night, luckily Cat's a Grizz fan, so the game was on near us, and we were definitely watching it while we were having dinner. When Vince Williams Jr. kicked that ball, I almost started throwing things in the alchemy. Like, I, I almost made a scene. He kicked it, and then he knocked it away, got the steal, kicked it over to Luke Kennard. It was beautiful. Was? It was incredible. Yeah. It was incredible. The passing of the torch. And by the way, it was Dylan Brooks that was taking the ball out. That was oh, phenomenal. It was. F- and by the way, you you brought it up yesterday. Uh, Houston Rockets fans are starting to uh, oh, they're beginning. The turn is beginning. The turn is beginning. That was the most Dylan Brooks game possible <laughs> hey, he last us. night. He with us. No Fred Fred Van Vliet. Five for seventeen from oh, the field. Two for classic. ten from three. Classic. Thank you, Dylan. Thank, Thank you, you Dylan. Dylan. And one of the two away games you had here at Memphis, you had to have a classic Dylan Brooks. Game. That turnaround fadeaway and the with technical, two people in his face. And oh, the technical. It was a classic Dylan Brooks oh, game. Classic Dylan Brooks it, game. It, 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 it delivered. You love to see it. It absolutely delivered. He's still with us. Now, the Grizzlies are going to uh, play the Bucks on national television, 730 tonight on TNT, before they head off to uh, the All-Star break. Well, we're just going to see Vince Williams Jr. tomorrow. That's really, if you're a Grizzlies fan, that's that's all you have really to look forward to, unless you just like, I mean, I, I enjoy the All-Star break. I do too. I enjoy the All-Star like skills competition. 1,000% be tuned in to the Rising Stars game. Yes, I am, uh, obviously I'll tune in to the game coming up on Sunday, but I, uh, I'm i looking forward to Sabrina Ionescu versus uh, versus Steph. That'll be interesting. That's fun. I think I'm, I think I'm going to have to go with Sabrina. It feels thought. like the safest bet. Like, yeah. that's where I'm leaning as well. The form is just crazy. Well, this, this is Steph it's Curry. Automatic. Like, let's be honest. Steph Curry's like she has to. He has to dethrone Sabrina. Correct. Sabrina is the is she's the, the champ, champ right now. Yeah, he has to dethrone her. So, like, I I, I don't know. I'm gonna go with the. I'm gonna go with the champ. I saw a hilarious tweet last night about Vince Williams Jr. in the Rising Stars game. It was like I can't, and it said, uh, "I think Serb your enthusiasm." Great, great yes, name yes, by yes, the way yes, yeah. on on X Twitter, whatever you want to call it. He said, I can't wait to watch Vince Williams Jr. play way too hard and ruin the Rising Stars game. (laughs) It's going to be phenomenal. Yeah. By the way, I still stand by my take that I had at last year's All-Star break. I didn't have a platform to say this, so I'm just going to say it here. I sent it out as a tweet. During the NBA All-Star game, it should be like the Royal Rumble. And every, like, 10 minutes, they send out a lunatic defender like Patrick Beverly P.J. Tucker, Dylan Brooks, to play on ball, ball, (laughs) increase the intensity of the game. You just hear glass breaking and Dylan running down a ramp. Oh, I'm here for it. Why not? These these coming all, down from the rafters the rest like of the Sting. All-Stars would hate that. Exactly. They would be oh, exactly. I need it. Themselves. I need it. Throw okay. in Tony Allen. Just get him back out there. And they're allowed. Each of these defenders are allowed one technical, right? One technical. One technical. And one flagrant. <laughs> <laughs> increase the intensity. All right, I get you. I get you. Um, but also on the show today, as far as guests, 5 o'clock, Jeff Calkins will join uh, Daily Memphian and the Jeff Calkins show. And then 6 o'clock, David Cobb will join. And I have a lot to discuss with him, uh, college basketball as a whole, but college football as well, with the Pac-12 deteriorating, George Klyavkov being out of a job, what's realignment going to look like. I, I think that um, David Cobb is perfect to bring on 
today for that particular conversation, CBS Sports, College Football, and College Basketball. The Blitz will be at 630. Um, I Listen, I, I'm not a hater. I'm not a hater. I appreciate, even if it's, you know, in conference, if it's a, you know, conference foe of my alma mater, the University of Memphis, I do give credit where credit's due. South Florida, Connor, I don't know if you've been paying attention that closely. They're they're doing really well in the past year in their two main sports, and they're building a new on-campus stadium. I think they need a little bit of credit, and I know they've been sort of at the top of the conversations when it comes to realignment and what they could potentially be coming from the American Athletic Conference. But they 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 improved to eighteen and five, eleven and one in conference. They're at the top of the American Athletic Conference in year one with Amir Abdurrahim. And then also, you look at what they did on the football field. They won their first bowl game since 2017 with Alex Golish in year one. They're doing a heck of a job, man. They're doing a heck of a job. So we'll talk about that. And then also, uh, we get into a conversation because of our warp minds on the Grizzlies. Um, there's been a bunch of mix and match pieces. You know, Lamar Stevens, Yuta Watanabe, uh, Jordan Goodwin, Scottie Pippen Jr., I think Connor and I are going to have an extended conversation about, you know, 14th and 15th guy. Which of these guys is most likely to stick? We'll we'll talk about that in the Blitz. But I have to get a round of applause ready off the top of the show. Because if you have not been following college basketball, and the worst teams in college basketball, if you're a sicko like me, you appreciate a terrible college basketball team finally getting their first win. But Detroit Mercy, up until last night, they were playing at home against IUPUI. They were 0-26, 0-15 in their conference. Detroit Mercy got the dub last night. Connor Dunning, give them a round of applause. Everybody throw it out there. They are now 1-26, 1-15 in conference, 81-66 win at home over Indiana University, Purdue University, Indianapolis, IUPUI, who is 6-21 on the year. And then they had a court storming. I don't know if you've got to see the video, Connor. One guy, one one human being was involved in this court storming. They didn't have a bunch of uh, uh, security, if you were wondering. They didn't have a bunch of guys, you know, uh, sideline ready to stop the one guy coming on for the court storm. But Detroit Mercy, man, you got to give a shout-out. got to give credit where credit's due. This is a long time coming. They had a 20, I think a 27-game losing streak, including last year, and they finally got their first win. One in twenty six on the year. It does remind you that things could be a whole lot worse. Yes, they could. No matter no matter what you think about Memphis basketball and where these things have headed, there's a lot of fan bases that have it a lot, lot worse. Also, um, speaking of uh, road basketball being hard, we know IUPUI lost to Detroit Mercy. Did you see Auburn, South Carolina last night? Auburn, after losing to Florida last time out, uh, was you know. Matched up against South Carolina, 21-3. and three. Lamont Paris has done a really good job with them. Uh, number 13 team in the country, or number 11 team in the country. Auburn's number 13. Um, but South Carolina goes on the road, 21-3. and three. Auburn beats them 101-61. to 61-61. to 61. And it's not really, you know, it's, I'm not telling you anything, you know, crazy here. Road basketball is very, very hard. It's very hard. We have a lot of AP top 10 teams losing to unranked teams on the road. Um, Kansas comes to mind there uh, where they, they lost to Texas Tech by 29 two nights ago. But Auburn shot 61% from the field, 60% from three, 90% from the free throw line, only had six turnovers. They had 25 points off turnovers. On the other side, South Carolina, 34% from the field, 20% from three, 13 turnovers. It, it, it's kind of easy to figure out why, why South Carolina got absolutely blown 
out of the water. Not that complicated. Not that complicated. Now, speaking of road basketball being hard, Memphis travels to North Texas 7 p.m., and this is a massive game. Uh, The Tigers are 76th in the net, and when you look at North Texas, they're 80th in the net, even though they're 13-10, and and they're a spot below, one spot below the Tigers in the American Athletic Conference standings. This is a must-win game. There's no other way to put it. I know that you know people said you could come out of this this week one and one. I think the one and one has to be a loss against SMU if you want to keep your uh, at large hopes alive. I think two and zero oh is the best you know situation for them in this particular moment. But the Tigers have to make these three wins in a row turn to four wins in a row tonight, or I, I fear that a loss against North Texas will be a little bit too much for the committee to sort of uh, put them into a, a tournament conversation. Now, when you look at Joe Lenardi, he still has them as Memphis, as the next to the next four out. So they're not even on his bubble at this particular moment. They can work themselves onto the bubble this week, maybe on the right side of the bubble if they go 2-0. and um, Jerry Palm, though, from CBS Sports, who's usually a harder grader than Joe Lenardi, has them as his first four out. He is in the, the, the first four out. So the Tigers at this point in the season, with what they have left on their schedule, we're, we're in a very similar situation that we have been the last couple of years. They have to win out nearly uh, maybe take one loss on the road against Florida Atlantic the rest of the year to save themselves uh, in, in, in their at-large hopes of potentially being an 8 or 9 seed. Now, we know what it was a few weeks ago or about a month ago. We thought they were going to be a 4, 5, 6, 7 seed. But the truth of the matter is they have to fight to be an 8 or 9 seed. And that's, it's just the reality of the situation. Yeah, it's, this is one of those games where even though SMU – is the bigger game and the one that could help you out in the metrics more than the North Texas, this is still an extremely important game because you have to win it. You have to win it. Your margin of error is no longer present. If you want to remain in the at-large bid conversation, you have got to go down to North Texas and take care of business. You have no other choice than win this game. Yeah, you, you have no you have no choice because uh, this team in North Texas has been struggling as of late. Yes, they have missing two separate guys, um, and they're one and four, one and four in their last five. You have to take advantage, and and likely I think if you win by a fair amount, you help yourself in the metrics pretty substantially. Now the metrics are strange to me, Connor. I brought it up yesterday, but Bart Torvik, who we have been sort of talking about. Um, he's very predictive. He talks about offensive and defensive efficiency, and he goes based off that. He has the Tigers at 93rd, 93 in the country. This uh, this North Texas team is 54th. Now, if the Tigers beat North Texas, they could shoot up. I don't think they'll pass uh, North Texas by any stretch of the imagination. Again, 93 to 54th. But what I don't get about Bart Torvik in this metric is why that discrepancy is so large. I know it's about offensive and defensive efficiency, but I think if you're going to be a, a – solid metric that we should use, you have to take into account wins and losses, right? You have to take it into account. Because right now, when you look at North Texas's resume at 54th and Bart Torvik, they're 13-10, and 10, they're 6-5 and five in conference. Their best win by far this year is versus SMU at home. Did you know Memphis has that win? Memphis has that win. And they have a win at VCU, who just beat Dayton, who just beat Dayton, who is at the top of the A-10. They beat AM on the road. They beat Clemson at home. They beat Virginia at home. And I already mentioned the SMU game. And they're 18 and 6, 7 and 4 in conference. They're ahead of North Texas in conference, but yet they're 93. They're that many spots below North Texas and Bart Torvik in particular. Listen, I am understanding 
that metrics matter. I am understanding that these things need to start turning the Tigers' way if they want to get an at-large seed because the committee will look at all of the Bart Torovic, they look at the net, they look at Ken Palm. I get that. But this discrepancy in Bart Torovic is really throwing me for a loop. It makes no realistic sense. I think if we're going to base our you know, conversations and, and NCAA tournament viability off of these types of metrics, these metrics need to take it upon themselves to actually talk about wins and losses, good wins, bad losses, the whole nine yards. And Memphis is by far, in that category, better than North Texas. It's not even particularly close. Yeah, I think John Martin's been talking about this a lot on Jason and John. By the way, congratulations to, to yeah, John. Yes, congr- congratulations. That's Sam. awesome. Um, he's been talking about how it is right now you've got to focus on the ones that are taking into account the wins and losses and aren't trying to predict what's going to happen for the rest of the season because the the craziness of this Memphis Tigers season has just thrown all of the metrics for a loop in a way. They almost don't know how to deal with this Memphis team the same way we don't really know how to deal with this Memphis team right now. The expectation of them can change on a dime. Right now, it's trending upward. You think, okay, the Tigers have maybe figured something out here. They've looked a lot better the last few games. They've strung together a three-game win streak against Wichita State, Temple, and Tulane. One of them was a road win. Good things. David Jones looks better. Javon Quinterly looks better. Tomlin's able to stay on the floor. They're playing team basketball. They aren't turning it over as much. The roster looks much better. But as we've seen with this Tigers team this season, it can change in an instant. So that's why you really hope that tonight they can go to North Texas and just have another – if it's a similar win against Tulane, that would be massive. Just prove a point. Leave no doubt. You are far more talented than a team like North Texas. They're a really good defensive team. Yes. They they only give up 60 points a game. You average 80 points a game. So which way is it going to go? Is it going to be an offensive game for the Memphis Tigers, or are they going to get drugged down into the mud? You hope that they can keep the pace up and keep the offense going because they are just so much more talented than this North Texas team. And like you said, they've really been struggling over their last few games. They're 5-5 five and five in their last 10. They're 1-4 and four in their last five This is an opportunity for the Tigers to go out there, get a win that's going to weirdly help their metrics, but it also just continues to keep them on this path of maybe being able to get back into the at-large conversation. One one thing that, you know, makes me believe in a Tigers victory tonight, that's what I'm calling right this second. I think the Tigers, obviously they're one-and-a-half-point dogs, but I think they can go into North Texas and win. The Tulane game gives me a lot of hope. Right. Um, one thing that really gives me a lot of hope is North Texas, yeah, they're great defensively. Offensively, they've not been very good. And they could be without two of their best offensive players, two of their top four scorers, Ruben Jones and C.J. Nolan, are two guys that have been missing some games. Ruben Jones has missed the last five, C.J. Nolan the last three. And even if they are on the floor, they could be hobbled. So it's going to be about North Texas trying to keep up with Memphis more than Memphis trying to uh, you know defeat North Texas's great defense. They have more than enough on the offensive end. I mean, I look at David Jones, what he's been able to accomplish the past three games offensively. He just got named as a top 30 finalist for the Naismith uh, Award, the Naismith Trophy. So I, I really like what the Tigers can bring tonight. And, and really, what does it come down to? What are the keys to the game, Connor? The same keys that we've seen, um, you know, the – you know, when they when they are not on the right side of history of these keys, they lose four games straight. When they are on the right side of history, they win three games straight. What are they? Turnovers, keep them down. Assists, boost them up. Two of your best players, David Jones, Javon Quinterly, play like your best players. And then on Penny's side, it's not necessarily about how many guys you play. 
It's about how you play them. Right. Have a plan. Understand what you're going to do with them. Even if you're going to play a 10-man rotation, let these guys know who they're going to be playing beside, how this whole thing is going to be paced when they're going to be playing. And then they have these carved-out roles that has helped. I mean, I I think the rotations, um, you know, as much as we've read about Jonathan Pierre and, and, you know, what he's done the past two games, 16 points in the past two games, he's been pretty efficient on the offensive end. He's been fitting in a whole lot better on the defensive end. And and there's been sort of um, reports about, him and Penny changing his mindset. I think Jonathan Pierre has been helped by the fact that he knows what his role is going to be when he actually hits the floor. He's going to play 12 to 15 minutes. He's comfortable in that role. He's a spot-up shooter, and, and he's accepted it. Um, but I think more, more so than anything, even if you're not, even if you're playing 10, 11 guys, just have a damn plan with those guys. And the Tulane game gave me a lot of hope in that regard for Penny Hardaway and what he's going to roll out tonight. Absolutely. It's a... Uh... I know that we've been talking about how turnovers are so important to keep down, but at the end of the day, this is college basketball, and these guys are going to make mistakes. They're going to have bad fouls. They're going to have turnovers every once in a while. That doesn't mean that you need to pull them out of the game. You have got to allow your best players to stay on the floor for extended periods of time because as we have seen this Memphis season, when that happens, they tend to win. They tend to win when their best players are able to play consistent long minutes. That is what we're talking about. We are talking about the consistency of minutes. And to your point, Jonathan Pierre, when he knows he's going to get, okay, this is going to be my window of opportunity in the first half. In the second half, he's going to use me spot minutes here at the end of the first. He knows that he's going to go in there. He knows who he's usually going to be playing with. He feels comfortable in that role. Everybody knows how everyone is supposed to be used on the court. It's that simple. It's that simple. And it has seemed like the last few games, Penny has been leaning that way and making sure that everybody's roles are defined. You just hope that nothing switches up tonight because of North Texas's defense. I hope that that doesn't worry him because they are more of a defensive team. I mean, it's once again, though, we're going to know within the first 10 minutes yeah. what the rotations are going to look like. Hopefully they look like they did in the Tulane game because I have his thumbs up. They were really good in the Tulane game. The only reason some more guys got some minutes was because of foul trouble, which if that happens, there's nothing wrong with that. That's part of the plan. Okay, yeah. if we have foul trouble, some more guys are going to have to play. If that's what happens tonight, no problem. Yeah, but I think a lot of things have been cleared up the last three games. Let's hope that it transitions in tonight. You calling for a win? I am. I, I think there's I'm no right reason too. they should lose this game. Yes. There's no reason. They are far more talented than North Texas. They are not a very good basketball team. The reason it is a Super Bowl for every single team that you are going to is because they know that you're the best team. And I think largely to go too, prove it. And I think largely too, there's just an understanding of where the, this team, based on that Tulane game especially, I think there's an understanding of where they're at when it comes to the NCAA tournament. All these guys ended up coming to the University of Memphis because they wanted to be in a good spot come tournament time. They right. wanted to play in the tournament. They wanted to compete. They wanted to get to the second weekend. They wanted to show what they could do. I think all of them understand that all of those hopes that they had in the preseason are dissipating by the day unless you win and win and win and win. So I really think that the Tigers can, can pull out a victory tonight. And I, 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 I'm hoping, I'm hoping that they can do it in convincing fashion because that would really help their metrics. Yeah, it, it seemed like in the two-lane game, you could tell, and even in the Temple game a little bit, there was a sense of playing with desperation. Now, and not in a negative way necessarily, but you could tell that they understood our backs are against the wall now, and you can't have those emotional lulls that we saw after the non-con. That's kind of what happened. The, 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 the non-con was so emotionally charged, and every single game felt so big. 
and then you got to the conference schedule, and there was a dip, and the play went down, the team started splintering, you had a Mills injury, which was a huge problem that they had to figure out how to deal with. After that four-game losing streak, though, I think that they understand you have to go out there and play with desperation. And as you've been saying, you've got to bring your own energy, especially on the defensive end. And that's what they've been doing the last few games. And lo and behold, three wins. Yep. Now, Grizzlies got a win last night. They're in a back-to-back tonight against the Bucks. But I want to rewind to last night. Last night was pretty fun. And I want to answer the question. With every win that you see this team get, you know that you want them to tank. You want them to get the best draft pick. Um, in the upcoming NBA draft. I understand that. But how should you feel about everyone? I'll answer that question on the other side, right here on the Gabe Kuhn Show, 92.9 FM ESPN. Guests appear on the Smile Center hotline. Now back to the Gabe Kuhn Show, live from the Service Master by Cornerstone Studios on 92.9 FM ESPN. Back into the Gabe Coon Show, 92.9 FM ESPN. Before I uh, get into the Grizzlies here, we have a situation that unfolded between the Pistons and the Suns last night in a uh, in a tunnel skirmish, if you will. Isaiah Stewart punched Drew Eubanks, who is the center, one of the centers for the Suns, um, behind Yusuf Nurkic. Punched him, and he got arrested. <laughs> he got arrested, and obviously there was a police presence and everything else. Um, I know the guys on Inside the NBA have had fun with that in the past um, on TNT. But Isaiah Stewart has been arrested, and they're, they're deciding if they want to press charges. Apparently, there's there's footage out there, too, Connor. Did you see that? Some security guard just made a lot of money. Yeah, but there's I want to see, personally, I really want to see the uh, the footage. I don't know if it'll get released. The NBA is going to get their hands on it because there is cameras. There is cameras in those tunnels. But Isaiah Stewart, obviously he's, he's famously the one who tried to go after LeBron back in the day and would not be denied. Um, but uh, punched Drew Eubanks clearly right in the face. Neither of them played last night, so there is that. <laughs> he's, <laughs> I, I think Isaiah feel. Stewart has more famous punches than he does highlights. That's what I'm saying. I don't know how to feel about it. I don't know how to feel about I, well, I, it's it. Not the time it's not or place. clear what like, happened. Obviously, they probably talked a little trash. It's while not they were the pa- time or place, yes. They were, they, were, they were probably, like, you know, talking a little trash while they're passing each other in the tunnel, and Isaiah Stewart just, like, let go of a right hook. I guess so. I don't know. Like, Drew Eubanks probably had to say something pretty diabolical, you'd hope, for, for Isaiah Stewart to react that way and get arrested before the game. It's also Isaiah Stewart, so you yeah. never, he may have said hello. Yeah. So there is that, but they—it's an alleged assault. He was arrested for assault. We'll see how if that lasts. Well, we're going to get a suspension for Isaiah Stewart. Definitely, no doubt about it. No doubt. I wonder how long it'll be, um, but they're going to review the footage, the NBA, and then uh, they've launched a full investigation. So we'll see what happens there. Now the Grizzlies finally snapped a nine-game losing streak last night. They got a dub versus the Rockets, one twenty-one to one thirteen. We got a just vintage, vintage Dylan Brooks performance. Defensively, he was solid, but he was 5-for-17 from the field, 2-for-10 from three. Had some turnovers, was making terrible decisions with the ball. I saw, you know, uh, spaces are very fun on X, um, but Rockets fans are starting to turn on Dylan Brooks already. Um, He's been very solid so far this year, but that was great. And he even had a technical to to, to add on top of it. And know what it led to is the Grizzlies only win against the Rockets this year. So, you know, save the best for last. 
get the one win against Dylan Brooks in the last game you're going to play against him all year. Now, the story from last night to me is the story that we've been following for a long time. Um, Gigi Jackson and his return to the floor after his uh, his one-game suspension for, for violating team rules. 20 points, 9 rebounds, 3 blocks in his return. And it's just kind of funny, too, to follow him on the floor. He plays with a, such a bliss because he's so young. And, you know, you have to remind yourself he's 19 years old. I know we talk about it a lot. But you have to remind yourself, even at 19 years old, how much of a child he is still. I mean, he, he had a cut on his hand, and they're putting disinfectant into his hand. And he's cringing and jumping up and down like, like he's, a, like he's a, a small child when they, when they put the disinfectant into his cut. And then also he said after the game when he was talking to, to the media that uh, he asked Dylan Brooks for an Instagram follow while he was at the free throw line. And then he went on to say if, if Dylan Brooks doesn't do it out of his own volition, he's going to go on to Instagram and message him and say, team, follow back. He's going to DM sure him. She, like, Gigi is just so damn young. You have, I know that we always talk about him being barely 19 years old, but he even acts young. And it's not surprising that he's had the four fines and the team violations at this point. He just hoped that those things sort of – he rids himself of those things as his career goes along. Yeah, to be fair to Gigi – I'm almost 30, and every time I put disinfectant on my hands and there's a small cut, I jump around too. Like, let's be honest. It stings like a, like a MFR. It definitely hurts. Um, no, I think it showed – it was really encouraging last night that he came back from a one-game suspension so locked in and played the type of game he did. 20 points, 8 of 15, 3 of 5 from 3, 9 rebounds, 3 blocks. You can't ask for more from a 19-year-old player. He is showing signs of being something truly special. And I am beginning to get a sense that, you know, I know myself and when I'm texting you and friends, I am having to hold back things I truly want to say about what Gigi Jackson can be because it does feel like sound nuts. you don't want to sound crazy. But when you watch him play, you're like, this is starting to get crazy, man. Like his last five games, Brett Usher put it out there on, uh, on, on Twitter He's averaging 19 points a game in his last five on really good shooting, high rebound numbers. I'm not sure what Gigi Jackson's going to be next season for this Grizzlies team, but I'm fully confident he's going to be a big part of that rotation, and he is going to help them win a lot of basketball games. What he has been able to show when he has gotten the opportunity with the Grizzlies is that he can put up these numbers with consistency. Yes. And that is the surprising thing from such a young player. It's the consistency of it and the defensive flashes yeah. he's been showing. All of Three that you did not night. expect. We expected him to come in and just to this Grizzlies chuck team. And duck. Yeah, we thought he was going to be, you know, he's putting up big numbers in the G League offensively. He's going to come in, take it to take some shots, fill it up. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch him offensively. But all of a sudden he has shown this well-rounded game that I think all of us expected that he could get to one day. We didn't necessarily expect him to be here now. He has talked a lot about Anthony Carter being a huge reason why he's been so successful. And, I mean, we're seeing, we're seeing it come to fruition right now. I am very excited to see what Gigi Jackson can be. And I think all of us are confident in saying that if he was in the NBA draft this year, there would be an argument that he'd go number one. Yeah, no. No question about it. I think, I mean, especially with this draft and what it looks like, top five pick is very real. Oh, easily top five. No doubt. Yeah. Um, but he, he's very fun to watch. Um, the next iteration to his game, though, is moving the ball at least a little bit. Yeah. 
you know, I, th- I heard Tony Allen with Grind City Media, and he was talking about Marcus All about swing, swing. Sometimes, GG, you know, don't be don't be a black hole when you get the ball and put I, up he's every on shot. A heater though, Move, but yeah, I get it, I get it. Move the ball a little bit. I, I the thirty eight percent from three in a twenty one game sample size is very fun from a guy like that. I've already made my comparison to Michael Porter Jr. I do think there's even more upside potentially, but I think that that's a realistic uh, point that he could potentially get to by the Absolutely. time he's twenty one, twenty two, twenty three. Um, but we're just gonna have to see that see that happen, and I think it's you know it's about maturing and and learning how to fit in within the team, and I think he's done that on the offensive end relatively well, and on the defensive end, I'm surprised. But it's it we're now we're at the point where GG, let's let's we know you're a playmaker off the bounce, getting your own shot. Let's see if you can get other people involved. I think that would be an unbelievable um, sort of uh, move toward. Um, being a, a consistent role player for this for this Grizzlies team heading into next year. If he can add that to his game and we see that come to fruition the rest of the season, I think that this guy can be a, a you know, seventh, eighth piece potentially on this team next year. Absolutely, and I think the good news is, is you know, to your point, the rest of the season, it's just, hey, work on your playmaking ability a little bit. If you can get those assist numbers up, that would be great. That is kind of the next step in what we want to see from him. Um, along with just continued defensive consistency and making sure you're in the right spots. Because I do still stand by, he is still getting away with a lot of things on the defensive end because he is so athletic. Once he figures it out and is just always in the right spots, it's going to become dangerous. And once his body, of, of course, continues to grow, it's just, we talk about young players, how the game can be overwhelming speed-wise, and Gigi Jackson is able to pace the game to what he wants it to be when he has the ball in his hands, and that's what's so impressive. Like, when he took that rebound and he fought it away from those guys and had that fast break, it's just, you just saw the future right there. You're like, oh my God, how did they find this guy at 45? If he can just add some playmaking to his game, just swing that ball every once in a while, that would be huge. Because right now, he's only averaging .8 assists a game. That's nothing wrong with it right now. He's only 19 years old. He's still figuring it out. Nothing wrong with that. You can get that number up to, like, 2.8. That would be fantastic. <laughs> so, yeah, it's interesting, too. Like, my wife and I are sitting on the couch, and we do we, we make our own uh, chocolate strawberries for those that don't do that. I think it's a good tradition. It's, 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 it's a great tradition. tradition. Unlike any it's other. sweet. But yeah. we're, 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 eating our, we're eating our chocolate-covered strawberries. Well, she's eating most of them. And then we're watching the game, and I'm, and I'm pointing out Gigi Jackson. And she's like, he's 19 years old? Yeah. He's built like a man. He's, yeah. He's, he's already built like an NBA player right this second, even at 19 years old. And you can even get him into that strength uh, strength and conditioning program. I think that it, it, it it's only well, up from here. The Rockets are known to be one of the more physical teams in the NBA, especially this year with Ime as their head coach. They do not shy away from contact. And it did not bother Gigi last night one bit. He was driving in the lane, had a lot of baskets around the rim. He was taking on the contact, and he was finishing. That was massive. I mean, we've seen there was a there was a guy that used to wear a Grizzlies uniform just a few weeks ago who couldn't do that around the rim. So for yep. Gigi to already be able to do it at 19 years old, it does feel like the sky's kind of the limit for him right now. So you just hope that for the rest of the season, he can continue to put these games together consistently. It's all about consistency for these young players. And him being able to show the flashes of it right now at 19 years old is massive. He's, he's doing things that we've been waiting for other Grizzlies young players right. to do for years now. And it took him, what, 22 games to he do is, it? He's the anti-Zaire Williams, Jake LaRavia, David Roddy, where we're sitting here like, yes. oh, if they only played with confidence. Gigi has no lack of confidence. None whatsoever. There's just absolutely nothing there that like, 
He does not lose confidence. If he misses, he will keep chucking up shots. You know, it, but it's just about playing more within structure and, and learning how to play within the NBA consistently and, and manage yourself off the floor. Another though. underrated aspect to Gigi's game so far this year. He's not turning the ball over, and he's not fouling at a high rate. Yep. Those two things are also extremely encouraging. He is able to stay on the floor with these NBA players, and he is able to play effective defense without having to he, foul guys. As opposed to Zaire Williams and Jake LaRavia, you can tell when he plays, the confidence he plays with, he feels like he belongs. He feels he doesn't have some imposter syndrome by any stretch of the imagination. He has that. He has the arrogance that leads to good play on the floor. You have to have if you're a pro athlete in general, you have to have some arrogance about what you can do yeah. on a field, on a court. He has that. He yeah. has that. To what Taylor was talking about, if you showed game footage of last night's game to people who didn't know who the Grizzlies were, didn't know who the Rockets were, and you said pick out the players you think are first year guys. No way they pick out Gigi. Yeah, they, they would not pick so. out Gigi. There's he's been a, some games where you could pick him out. Yeah, yeah, not last night, though. Not last night. Last night, he looked like Not a lately pro. in general. No, not lately. It's been a, <laughs> it's been a he's minute been in, since he's had a bad game. He's been in double figures his last five games. And he's rebounding at a high level, and he's giving effort. His last things. bad game was on the second against the Warriors. Yep. Yep. And it makes sense. And he had a tough one against the Timberwolves way back when. Um, but those are, those are two games. And he had another can, one against Orlando. He's can, had like three bad games in the last month and a half. Can we admit last night's game is just like objectively hilarious? Oh, it was great. It's hilarious. It was great. Well, not just the Dylan Brooks thing and seeing Dylan Brooks do his his best uh, Grizzlies Dylan Brooks impression by the end. But also you have uh, the, the Grizzlies getting absolutely, especially at the end of the game, killed on the boards. Like killed. 22-8 to eight is what they lost on the offensive glass by. <laughs> That's nasty. But they shot 15 for 35 from three with two-way and G League guys. It's nuts. And then, like, Lamar Stevens, 14-7. and seven. Lamar Stevens, so far, has two games this entire season in double figures. You guessed it. He's two for two with the Grizzlies. He's batting 1,000 in double figures for the Grizzlies. Man. And then Jordan Goodwin was solid, man, off the bench. And those two guys are doing the post-game interview together with Fish. And, uh, you know, Jordan Goodwin said something like, uh, it's just good vibes here in Memphis. Could you imagine? It's like, dude, you've been here for 36 hours. How do you know? How do you fly? I mean, I'm glad to hear that, but how do you really know what the vibes are like in Memphis yet? You've, you've barely been here. If you showed footage of that post-game interview last night to a Grizzlies fan, like last May, they'd be like, what the hell happened? Why are Lamar Stevens and Goodwin doing the post-game interviews in a February game right now? And you'd be like, just <laughs> just wait. Yes, <laughs> exactly. It'll all make sense yes. as time comes. Yes. No, it was, I, you know, I, I owe Lamar Stevens a bit of an ap- apology. I, I was not familiar with your game. I was not familiar with his game. I was not familiar with his game at all. When he was involved in that trade, I was like, oh, he's an expiring contract. They're going to waive him. Like, yeah. that's that's what you thought it was going to be. Metu especially over. because you thought Metu it was like, okay, the fit there at center, it made more sense. He has come in and he is showing that he has some NBA viability to him. So let's see what he can do the rest of the year. Again, he is on an expiring contract, so I'm not sure if they're going to be able to bring him back. We're going to talk about that a little bit later in the Blitz. That'll be a fun segment that we do. Highly recommend you stick around for that conversation. So, you know. We're going to wait and see. We'll wait and see for sure. Again, it has only been two games, but signs are encouraging. It's yeah. that's like this Grizzlies team this year has just been it's encouraging, man. Luke Kennard played really well last night, 4 or 6 from 3, 19 points. His playmaking continues to be a sign of good things to come. 
And Vince didn't have a great game. He offensively. had his worst uh, shooting from the field just about all year. Seven assists, eight rebounds, three steals. I'm, by the way, <laughs> just are we, like, I mean, I'm sicko. I'm, I'm just sicko. I'm, I'm ready for the the Vince Williams Jr. triple double. The assist oh, it's, numbers are, are getting It's there. coming. Seven it's last night. In the last five, he's averaged 7.4 assists per game. Um, since January 1st, too, his numbers, if you're still holding out, and I don't think there's a lot of people holding out on Vince Williams Jr. and what he'll be for this rotation next year. I think you understand at this point. But since January 1st, 14.7 points per game, 6.2 rebounds, 4.3 assists. 19 games since January 1st. That's what he's looking at. It's just it's it's there. It's absolutely there, and I'm waiting for the triple double. I think we'll get it. I think we'll get it. I, I think that we could definitely get it sometime soon. Um, a lot of people have pointed out too that Vince Williams Jr. and Gigi Jackson, when you combine their deals, are making less than Dylan Brooks does for a season. And if you add Marcus Smart, it's twenty three million per year as opposed to Dylan Brooks twenty two million per year. Three of those three guys combined for twenty three million per year. Dylan Brooks, one player, twenty two million per you year. You take that deal. I I, th- I think I like it. I, I think take I that like deal it right now. We'll see how it ages, though. Now, I think a lot of people have different thoughts in this conversation I'm about to bring up, but I'm, I'm going to pose this to you first, Connor. What are your thoughts on winning at this point in a lost season? Like the Grizzlies winning, you want to lose every game so you have your best lottery chances, that type of thing. What are your thoughts on losing or winning in, in these particular situations? Win the games you can. Yeah. I have no problem with it. Where they are right now. I think right it's now, miserable to lose 25 games in a row. Well, I think it's miserable to have to go through that consistently. One win every once in a while sweetens it a, a, a tad bit. Yes. And this team, it's we've been talking about it all year. It's We said that the Rockets game felt like one that could be winnable because this team is going to go out there and play their asses off every single time. And the biggest point that we had about the Grizzlies and the Rockets this go-around was that they had Vince Williams Jr. and Gigi Jackson this time. They haven't had them in the previous games in the roles that they are playing now. So it does change a little bit. I have no problem with the Grizzlies winning right now. I've been calling it this is a natural tank. It's similar to the season that they had before they went out and were able to get John Morant. It's just they're going to win or lose a majority of the games right now, but it's not because they aren't giving effort. So every once in a while, the effort that they give is going to equate a win. And when you look at the standings that are up, the upside-down standings right now, one win isn't going to knock them out of some percentage chance to get a pick. It is likely that right now they are going to have a top six pick. If they win every once in a while, that's fine. I have no problem with it. To be quite honest, I look forward to the games that they win. It is fun to talk about a Grizzlies win. It is fun to be able to come in here and say, look at Gigi Jackson. Look at Vince Williams Jr. Look at, you know, Lamar Stevens or anybody. You can do it with those two. But when you see that these young players are affecting winning basketball, that matters to me. And it makes and it is going to bode well for the season next year. So I have no problem with it. My thoughts on winning in a lost season, I mix them in every once in a while. (laughs) Don't go on a winning streak. Uh, But like at the same time, a win's fine. Like I'm not gonna lose my mind. Um, I don't think Taylor Jenkins needs to pull a bunch of strings at the end of games if they're in them to really go win games. But it is what it is. I think we've sort of seen that though from him. He's not there's no in there's no real pressure for him to go win I any games down the stretch when you're in it with a with a solid team in the West, East, whatever. I don't think anyone expects this team either to be playing guys like Jaron Jackson Jr. in like the last week of this season. Right. It's they're going to get to a point in this year where the conversation of does it make sense for these guys to still be playing happens. And it's gonna be no. And the answer <laughs> is probably going to be no. Because Jeffrey brought up this point on Giannato and Jeffrey, and I agree with it. 
The last two years, this Grizzlies team has not been able to start the season fully healthy. You've got to do everything in your power to make sure that they can start next season and hit the ground running with a healthy Memphis Grizzlies team. So you have to weigh your options and you have to look at, is it worth playing Marcus Smart, Desmond Bain? Is it worth having BC do a little cameo at the end of the year as they've been calling? Maybe. I do also agree with Jeffrey in that it's probably going to be up to the players mostly. If they want to get in there and they don't want to sit out these games, sure, you let them play, but you keep those minutes down and you make sure that you're not playing them too much. The rest of this season is to prep for next year. Yep. That is the goal of this year. It, you know, I know a lot of people have been calling it a lost season, but it's, it's a dip. It's not necessarily a lost season. They're dipping so that they can come back stronger next year. And yep. so far... It's looking like that is a now, real possibility. They've just got to figure out the center position. Now, where do they stand right now as far as being you know, close to the bottom in their lottery odds? They're the sixth worst team in the NBA. Um, the Hornets, Wizards, Pistons, Spurs are not possible. You can't catch them. No, They're they, so they are awful. rat teams. They are miserable. <laughs> the only team that's realistic to catch behind you is the Blazers. But now you have what is looking like a three-game cushion that you're going to have to make up and the Blazers are going to have to start winning. I don't know when they're going to do that. But they're the sixth worst team in the NBA. The only realistic team is the Blazers you can catch behind you. The Raptors could overtake you as the sixth worst. Therefore, you drop to seventh worst. And I, I just want to be clear about what the drop-off to get a number one pick is in that moment. Because the top five, it's literally about the same odds, six and seven. But to get the number one pick at six for seven, the, the drop-off is one and a half percent. One and a half percent. I am not going to stress when the Grizzlies win a game over a one and a half percent chance to get a number one overall pick, especially in this draft. I, would I, be I just, curious. I'm not. I'm just. Listen, a loss is a loss, and I, you know, I, I, I think I find myself relatively happy that they're improving lottery odds when they lose. But at the same time, I just, I, I can't really be that caught up in this conversation when we're talking about one and a half percent to go get the number one overall pick. I don't remember what the lottery odds were for the Grizzlies the year that they got Jaw, but they jumped into that top yeah. three unexpectedly. Because yeah. I remember because they I was in a bar. Bad. They weren't. I don't think losing they were, my they, mind. Somebody's gonna have to go back and tell and, and figure this out. I'm sure they were, weren't they like it. a third? They were like a thirty-win team the year before. That? We can look it up. I'll yeah. look it up in but the like break. They, they, sixth and seventh is better than what they were that year. If yeah, I'm, that's if I'm not that's mistaken. what I mean. It's 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 marginal. So if you want to sprinkle in a few wins the rest of the season. Sure. I'm all for it. Thumbs yeah, up, not? all right? <laughs> I'm watching not? every one of these games like a lunatic anyway. So every once in a while, if there's a win, awesome. And I guess the Nets are the next team that they could yeah. they could catch. F they the could, Nets. They I could, the they Nets. Could, they could drop to eighth Stupid worst team. Nets. But even when you drop to eighth, that is the difference between, what, uh, 9% and 6%, so a 3% dip and getting the first overall pick. Again, I'm just not, I'm not that worried about those percentages. They got absolutely so crushed by the Celtics last night. Yes. God, they what was, what was the final score of that game? 136 to 86. Beautiful. Beautiful. But now we're going to build around them. Build around Macal Bridges. We got something cooking here. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. You got a nine-seed cooking every hey, year. And by the way, did you see the Clippers versus Warriors last night? 130-125. What a game that um, was. It was a great game. Clay Thompson, buddy. Yeah. It's getting bad. Yeah. The foul he had late in that game. Not good. Fouled down 126 to 123 when they had 39 seconds on the clock. And you can see even a rookie in uh, uh, AirPods and branded pods. He's cringing. He's like, what AirPods. the hell are you doing, dude? 
What are Clay Thompson, man? I know we've been talking about this for a while, but I fear it is over and done with. Steve brother. Kerr dropped to his knees when that happened in the same way that Michael Corleone dropped to his knees at the end of The Godfather 3. It was absolutely devastating. I know we talked about them not being dead and gone. And they're maybe not dead they, and gone. They, 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 they still potentially have win a first round. Issues, yeah. Yeah, if they're like a seventh or eighth seed and you know get matched up against the Thunder or the Timberwolves, they could win that game. But like the reason we've said that is we say the Thunder and the Timberwolves, they're still young. They got some, some dumbass in them, right? Warriors have won some very or lost some very stupid games. <laughs> they, they have been they pretty sure stupid have. too. And they this sure is Clay have. Thompson, who's in his thirties, who's trying to get another contract. Like they play dumb too. The games that Clay has been most effective in recently are the ones in which he takes mostly a backseat. A backseat isn't fourteen shots. <laughs> One of nine from three. That's not the back seat. Yeah. The reason we were talking about them yesterday was he has started to, he, the last few games in this run that they have had. He has been taking a back seat to Andrew Wiggins and Jonathan Kaminga. He did not do that last night, and it resulted in a loss. He was not good for them down the stretch. At some point, they have got to be honest about Clay Thompson this season. He is one of the reasons they were able to build the dynasty that they did. But it is it's over. It's over for him. It's, it's over. over for him. He, and he can't give you what he used to on the defensive end. He had two There's got- major injuries that he is trying to come off of. It's not a surprise it's why he's surprise. in the situation he's in. But, like, at the same time, he's got to take a back seat the rest of the year if they want to have any semblance of success. He'll have some spike games. I, I don't doubt that. He still can shoot the three ball relatively well when he's on, but he's way more streaky than he ever was in, in, the, in the heart of his career, in the prime of his career. He's he's a low. It's a low in field goal percentage, low in free throw percentage, low in three. He's got to stop taking those mid. 